I wonder if we could start, Treasurer, with you just telling us in your words uh, what's what's come out of the budget in the last six months since the since May, and what's come in. What you know, what have you lost, and and how much have you been able to make up? This is a budget update, uh, not a new budget, of course, and and we have seen a. A reduction in the receipts, uh, particularly because of things such as commodity prices and uh, the changing to the growth forecasts and, and, and outlook. I think it's a far more realistic assessment of where we're going, uh, and that has seen receipts fall by some 37.6 billion um, over the budget and the forward estimates. Uh, on, on top of that, we've had to deal with some new expenditure decisions uh, since the budget, and uh, what we've been able to do uh, at the end of all of that process is to ensure that the new spends have been offset by various savings and other revenue measures to ensure that on a policy basis there's been no addition to the deficit. And in fact, there's been a positive contribution of some $400 million to that. But over the budget and forward estimates more generally, what we've seen is expenditure as a percentage of GDP fall from 25.9% down to 25.3%. Um, there is still more work to do there, obviously beyond that, because the long-run average is around 24.8%. But even with what's happening with revenue, um, we will see that rise from around 24% this year. It'll get to the long-run average uh, um, next year. And I think that goes to the heart of this issue about you know, where you really need to focus on revenue and expenditure. Uh, the budget and forward estimates, I mean, we are still above the long-run average on expenditure, but we will see re um, revenue come in line with that long-run average. Um, at the end of the cycle, uh, at least the budget and forward estimates, we will see the, uh, the, uh, the budget position go on deficit to 0.7%. Uh, now, that is, uh, frankly, just under the long-run average for, for um, the, the underlying cash balance over the last 30 years or so. So it's an improvement. It's a pathway forward. Um, but we are not in the position of seeking to rush to this result. Uh, we are seeing, I think, some emerging signs of momentum in the economy, and we need to get the balance of continuing to nurture that and the jobs and growth that comes from that and, uh, and keep, I think, a very steady course. Well, in, a, in a broad sense, you're, aren't you struggling with the fact that um, permanent promises were made, both spending promises and tax cuts, on the basis of cyclical um, receipts? Well, you can't go and chase cyclical movements in revenue up or down um, with uh, revenue or expenditure measures. I mean, those parameter impacts um, will come and, and, and they will go, uh, whether it's iron ore prices or whether it's uh, changes in other, uh, other factors which impact on the budget. Uh, what we're seeking to do is structurally deal with the overall position of revenue and expenditure. I mean, over the last few years, we've been able to get through the, the, the Parliament to almost $90 billion worth of budget repair measures. Um, there's still a little bit more to go on that. There's around $14 billion in addition to that, which still sits before the Senate um, and before the Parliament. Uh, and so we have taken steps, as we have again in, in this latest update, to ensure that we're offsetting any additional expenditures with savings and other measures. Um, on the revenue side, um, as I said, we, we are in a position over the budget and forwards where it will turn to its, its longer run average. And so that's why the expenditure remains the focus structurally um, to ensure that we get onto a, a more steady footing in the future. God, um, given the size of the deficits, why don't you take... Uh, a tough line with your public servants and end the duplication between the states and the Commonwealth in health and education, as you originally promised? And then why don't you also cut the health costs, because there's many billions out there to be introduced, with modern technology and hospitals and communications with doctors? 
these, these are low-hanging fruits that are just sitting there ready to be plucked if, uh, if you've got the courage to do it. Well, I think the assumption that that's not occurring would be wrong. I mean, the, the, the government is in direct discussions as part of the federation reform process to deal with issues not just in health, but in issues such as housing or in education and, and a range of fronts. Um, I mean, when you're working in that area, they're not unilateral decisions of a Commonwealth government. They're actually decisions taken as part of, of the federation. I mean, we have been um, quite diligent in, in, in identifying and actually putting through the parliament some $90 billion worth of savings over the, just the last two, two and a half years. And, and, uh, and we've got further um, progress to make on that, as, as I've set out. Now, the federation reform is a really important part of that process. I announced our, our response to the Harper Review uh, a little while ago, and that was also another important area where you can drive the sort of change at service delivery levels, particularly at the state and territory government level, and, uh, and providing incentives for that, as was done under the Hilmer process many years ago, which added 2.5% to GDP. So I think we very much are engaging those sorts of issues, Robert, but at the same time, uh, you need to continue to engage in the delivery of government services, uh, which meets people's expectations, and you want to ensure that you're not taking a position on expenditure which could put at risk um, the, the growth which um, we are seeing uh, to start to emerge on as the economy transitions. But, but um, Treasurer, I mean, just looking at the, the MyEFO and, and the sort of the forward estimates and so on, it just seems to me that the only way the budget is going to get back into surplus in kind of anyone's lifetime is through the federation reform. I mean, it's, it's kind of at that point, isn't it? That well, I wouldn't agree with that. I mean, we're on a pathway to get the budget back to balance, and which is set out in this MIEFA. Now, it gets us down to 0.7% of GDP, down from 2.3% this year, over the course of the next four years. Now, that is a fairly significant decline in the deficit over the next four years. But we have to be patient about how we proceed with this. I mean, I, I, I gave the analogy today at the press conference when I talked about it, it's a bit like going on that, that summer holiday drive to your destination. You know how to get there. There's plenty of people sitting in the back seat saying, um, are we there yet, are we there yet, and wanting you to take detours. Well, there's no detour to getting um, back to budget balance. It has to be patient, it has to be methodical, it has to be balanced, and it has to be measured, and that's what we're doing. When do you think that the, the full benefits of the interduplication and the introduction of technology into hospitals and medical communication will really start to show big benefits. They're one year away, two years away, three years away. Well, there's, there's so much, but we already are seeing it now, Robert. That's already happening now. And to, to make the assumption that it's not, I think is, uh, as, as I think, to, to misrepresent the situation. It's something that is changing all the time. Um, I mean, in, in, I'm in Western Australia at the moment. Uh, we have a public hospital run by a private company at Joondalup. That was one of the things that was identified uh, in the Harper Review. Now, that's a good reform. That is doing exactly what you're talking about. And through the, the further Harper reform processes, we're hoping to see more of that. And uh, th that job is never, ever finished. I mean, it's an ever-receding finishing line, as John Howard used to say, when it comes to these reform issues. You start it and you keep going and you keep adding to it all the time. Can you tell us... Um, as much as you can about what's ahead for superannuation. Uh, and in particular, I'd, I'd just like to add, would you undertake that if, if there is to be uh, changes in superannuation and blows to superannuation people, will equivalent changes be made in the, in, in the public sector? Are you referring to pensions or are you referring to a public, uh, um, public sector? To superannuation for a public sector. superannuation scheme for the public servants. Right, right. Uh, well, 
firstly, on superannuation, there's, there's nothing in the MIEFO which goes to those issues, and should be clear about that. But um, as we've made clear, the Prime Minister and I are looking closely at uh, how we can make the superannuation system more fit for purpose. And it, uh, its purpose, particularly when it comes to tax incentives, is to ensure that people don't end up on, uh, on welfare payments in retirement, that is, on the pension. And uh, so it does have to have, I think, that very firm focus. I think over the years, uh, superannuation tax incentives have become all things to all people. Um, it could you know, potentially be seen as a, as, a, as a way of funding inheritance pools and, and various other things. Now, when it was the uh, incentives were first introduced and the, and the, and the guarantee levy was, was first introduced, it was also about building up a national pool of savings. And I think you could, we can safely say that it's been very successful in achieving that goal. But where it goes from here... I think is very much about ensuring that individual Australians can be independent in their retirement, and particularly those who would be at risk of otherwise not being independent. Now, a number of things have to happen for that to occur. I think you need greater flexibility in the system and greater choice. Uh, you've got people whose, whose superannuations are being directed into union funds without any say in the matter. Uh, you've got issues around the governance of superannuation, which we're seeking to see reformed. Uh, you've got issues around advice and information uh, which needs to be available to people to make good choices about their own superannuation. And, of course, you've got the, the targeting of the tax incentives and how they work and, and, and what's fair in the overall scheme of things on that front. So we're looking at making the superannuation system better in addressing all of those issues. The Labor Party just sees it as a big bucket of cash to tax. Now, that's not our approach, but um, we'll be taking, I think, a more constructive um, view of this and uh, we'll be dealing with that between now and the next election. Just hearing you talk about the, um, you know, the need for patience and being measured and balanced and all that stuff, I can't help but observe that that's not what occurred in 2014 in the budget then. It was anything but patient and measured. Well, it's important to learn. It's important to learn and move um, in sync with the Australian people. And, and what we're seeing, I'm sure you're seeing it too. I mean, Australians aren't naive to the to the economic situation that we're facing globally or even domestically. They know we had an, a big mining boom. They know that there was an explosion in commodity prices. Uh, they know we're going through a transition, that the, the world is changing as well, whether it's in China or, or in Europe or elsewhere. And so they know, they know there's some strong headwinds. And, and I think in today's statement, we've been very honest with them and realistic about uh, what, the, what the issues are going forward. Uh, but that's why growth is so important in this environment. I mean, that's why we identify it as our number one policy goal. Jobs will come from growth. And this time around with the transition in the economy, we're seeing more job-intensive growth come, uh, which is to be expected given it's in more in service-related industries and it's becoming a more people-driven economy rather than a resources-driven economy. And, I mean, I, I look forward to the day when, you know, when you do a statement like my EFO or the budget, then one of the most important issues that people focus on is not the iron ore price. Um, because at the moment it does have that sort of an impact on our revenues. In the future, uh, we hope it will have less of an impact because we'll have a more diversified economy. Uh, so that's, that's the plan. That's what we've recognised and uh, that's what we've appreciated over the last couple of years and, and the Prime Minister and I, I think, are very much in sync with where the Australian people are at on, on what the priorities are and how we're addressing them and, and at the pace we're addressing them. I mean, just as you grapple with the you know, expenditures in the light of you know, the, the commodity price downturn and the falling terms of trade, iron ore price down, do you, do you think mistakes were also made in budgets back in 2005, 2006? Um, also by the coalition at the time. Well, no government's perfect. The Howard Casella government, I think, came pretty close. They were a good government, and um, we remember it fondly. And, and but they were dealing with a different set of circumstances to the one we're dealing with today. 
but we, we seek to apply the same principles. I mean, there are some changes that I made as social services minister to pensions and family tax benefits and, and still seeking to make some of those changes, which reverse some of the measures that were, were introduced in the latter stages of the Howard Costello government. But equally, we've had to do a lot of work to uh, where there were some uh, uh, parts of the welfare system that became very entrenched under the previous government, which started off as one-off payments under the coalition government previously and became um, you know, part of the, the machinery and architecture of the welfare system under the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd governments. Now, you know, what we're doing on payments in particular was trying to make them fit for purpose. And I'll give you a good example, if, if you can indulge me. On family tax benefit payments, for example, I mean, we have a proposal to abolish the family tax benefit um, supplements. They are once-a-year payments sort of a Christmas and July bonus on family tax benefits that were originally introduced to deal with an accounting issue about estimating people's income and were used as a balancing item. Now, in this MIFO, we've got uh, funding for the single-touch payroll system, which will remove that requirement for that altogether. But yet the Labor Party and, the, and others in the Senate uh, want to continue that once-a-year payment, which no longer has a, a welfare purpose. Now, we're seeking to have that removed, and that will save some several billions of dollars over the budget and forward estimates. So you've got to make your payments fit for purpose, and to do that, you've got to define very clearly what the purpose is. That's how we were successful in actually getting the changes to the part pension through in the last budget, because we made it very clear that the pension, at the end of the day, is a welfare payment for those who haven't been able to put themselves in a position of independence in their retirement. Now, a generation on, then we would hope as a result of the, what I was just talking about on superannuation that we'll have less and less people falling into the need for that. I mean, the pension is a, age pension is a very expensive part of the budget. Uh, and the best way to address that in the longer term is to help people be more independent in retirement. Do you think that uh, most of the independent economists are forecasting tougher in employment conditions next year and higher unemployment? Do you think they're wrong? Well, they're not actually doing that, Robert. I mean, um, over time, they're actually starting to see um, the, the more job-intensive growth coming through, and they're revising many of their estimates down uh, in terms of the unemployment rate. I mean, we're at 5.8%. We had 71,000 extra jobs in the last month, and that wasn't just a one-off. That was two months running at the strong jobs growth. And we've been seeing that coming through things like the ANZ job ads and some of the sentiment surveys and uh, expectations and conditions issues around employment now for, for some months. I mean, much of that is... Sorry. expect that to continue. Well, that's what the leading indicators are telling us. Now, we've taken a conservative position on unemployment in this update statement today at 6%. Now, that's an improvement on where it was previously forecast in the budget. Uh, but, you know, today, unemployment's at 5.8%. So if, we do, if uh, it proves to be better than that, then that'll obviously have a positive impact on the bottom line in the budget. You mentioned the federation reforms and the importance of that in terms of getting the budget under control and so on in the future. Um, do you expect that some of those big items will be achieved, will be signed off before the budget in May next year? Well, they're very big changes and, and, and I, I can't speak for the states and territories on these things. We can only put things up and, and, uh, and see what progress we can make. But just in the way you structured the question, the point of federation reform is not to balance the budget, it's to grow the economy. Growing the economy, which actually is, is, is my point, is the way that we can improve the budget situation combined with controlling expenditure. Um, I, I don't see the budget as an end in its own right. It is a means to an end.
Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks very much, Treasurer. Thanks very much for your time, Alan. Robert, it was good to be with you. Thank you.